this special Thanksgiving edition of Riding the 3x3. Patrick Fetch and I, Russ Heltman, dive into the NBA free agency winners and losers. We give two each from each side of the debate. And then we dive into the latest and initial 2020 college football playoff rankings. Where do the mid-major hopefuls you see in BYU land, along with some scenarios at number four for the end of the season. Let me close things out with NFL uh, Thanksgiving-themed twist. The players we're most thankful for are top four teams in the NFL right now after 11 weeks. Let me close, of course, with a sucker bet and our top three Thanksgiving food items. For Patrick Fetch, I'm Russ Heltman. want to remind you to subscribe on Apple, Google, wherever you get your podcasts. You can find Ryan the 3 by 3 Rate us, review us, do all the good stuff to help supporting the Riding the 3x3 movement. Let's get in the lane, number one. Cruising in the lane, number one, on this Thanksgiving special edition of Riding the 3x3. Only episode we're putting out this week because of the holiday. I'm your host, Russ Heltman, joined by my co-host across the line, Patrick Fetch. I'm sure you're, uh, you're, you're uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for here? Fasting? Yeah, you're fasting for Thanksgiving, getting set for the gorging that's going to happen tomorrow afternoon, Pat. Unintentionally so. You might be right, Russ. I haven't eaten much all day today, but looking forward to every single bite tomorrow. You better believe it. Thanksgiving, one of my favorite days of the year. I'm a big food guy. Family's a big food family. You better believe I'm ready, Russ whole platter getting served at the Fetch household, I can imagine. We will be uh, celebrating Thanksgiving here in the Heltman Davis household on Friday. Going to have the family come up uh, as I am on call tomorrow, and Brooke will be uh, Brooke will be working as well. So we're grinding away, we're keeping it rolling, but we're all going to be celebrating one of the uh, most joyous holidays here as we get to the end of a pretty brutal year, 2020. Ready to wrap this thing up, but we're not wrapping up this episode until we got to get through all three of these lanes, NFL, NBA, and college football to tackle on this special Thanksgiving episode. We'll give our uh, favorite Thanksgiving foods, our trio, our top three at the end as well to close things out. But starting in lane number one, it was a wild, weird, crazy past five, six days, Pat, but the NBA free agency dust has Basically all settled now, just a few minor signings here and there left to get done. Uh, Over 90% of the roster spots have been confirmed as we are just days away from training camp opening up on December 2nd. So I thought it'd be fun if we gave our two biggest winners and our two biggest losers each from the free agency period. We'll We'll start negative. How about that? We'll close with some positivity. Who was your biggest loser or your one of your two biggest losers to start things off, Pat? I had some weird ones. I kind of want to hear you go first. Okay. All right. My biggest loser, and it's one that I was just going off on the entire weekend at 106.5 The Ticket, the Detroit Pistons. What in the hell are the Detroit Pistons doing? Here's who they signed in the free agency window. Jeremy Grant, three years, $60 million. About $10 million more than I would have paid Jeremy Grant, but here we go with that. Christian Wood, they let walk to Houston. For three years, $41 million. Easily the most underrated free agent uh, on the market. I think I pumped him up about a month ago before uh, we, when we were starting to preview all this stuff. And then they signed Mason Plumley for $25 million. Yes, another uh, big man center combination. Jalil Okafor, they took a little flyer on it. Two years, $4 million. And then they also brought in Jalon Wright uh, over the past couple days. And then Wayne Ellington, 
small one-year signing, $2.5 million. Bottom line, though, Pat, is they traded for Dwayne Dedman. They traded for the remnants of Josh Jackson. They are going to be almost capped out now with Blake Griffin still on the books. They have Griffin, Plumlee, Jalil Okafor, Dwayne Dedman. They got like six centers on the roster. Can you explain any of this to me, Pat? I don't know what the hell Detroit is doing. Especially when Blake Griffin's is like the he's still there. Yeah. yeah, he's still there. I mean, he <laughs> has to be who they're form. They should be forming a roster around. I, why not? And if you're gonna do all of these moves, all of these things, why not get rid of Blake Griffin and get the assets from him? Get anything you can from him. Get his contract off the books. Open up your future a little bit more. I don't understand why that wouldn't be part of the conversation as well. Can you explain that? I mean, that obviously means that they they want to keep him and, and build around him. Am I wrong? You you'd think, but. What what Blake was the number one pick in what oh nine? It's he's getting to be on the wrong side of thirty, multiple major knee injuries. Right. Like, are you really trying to build around Blake Griffin here in the next two to three years? In my eyes, I thought they would be, you know, trying to build around some young talent. Except they let their two best pieces go. They let Luke Kennard walk via trade, and then they let um they let Christian Wood just walk for nothing. I I, I just can't, I cannot wrap my head around any of this, Pat. My my friend, all my Detroit Pistons friends were like, just wait, Troy Weaver, he's got something cooking. There's a there's a big home run ball he's going to hit at the end of all these little weird foul outs. All I'm seeing is an 0-2 count, Pat, and with the season starting in about a month's time, they're going to be striking out on the, the 2020 campaign. The, uh, just an abject disaster of a free agent period for Detroit. Uh, although, like, what does it really matter? Like cool, Detroit. Go go do your own little thing over there. Just just keep keep dragging on the distant memories of those old pissing teams from the uh, from the early two thousands. What do you got for a loser for me, Pat? I love the selection, Russ. I mean, we probably are on the same page. I was gonna pick Blake Griffin as one of mine. I was gonna go a, a slightly different angle, but Ooh. you hit the you hit all the spots much better than I would have. So I'm glad I let you take that one. I guess I'll stay in the Eastern Conference and with my loser. We kind of discussed it last pod, but I think it, it, it bears bringing up again. Um, the Milwaukee Bucks. Hmm. Uh, I just, how much better did the Milwaukee Bucks actually get? And not only did do I not think they actually got much better, especially in the frame of the entire NBA, I think all they did was mortgage their future away that this is it. They, they're playing for one flag, one banner, and then a Hail Mary that, that Giannis wants to run it back after that. But I just don't see any which way that this plays out for the Bucks, that they've sustained their future whatsoever. So again, the the trade that they made for Drew Holiday, where they gave up what was it, two first rounds and a second round, um, it was a lot. Bait, we know, went over it in the last podcast, right. but it's a mouthful. It was a lot. It was the entire future. They mortgaged the entire twenty twenty pick slate to get Drew Holiday, a non, a not even a top thirty player. On top of that, they. Uh, whiffed on their attempt to get Bogdan Bogdanovich. I mm-hmm. think that's the right one, which would have been a, a great fit. Boy, Boyan, Boyan Bogdanovich. Boyan, okay. And then Eric Bledsoe is still or, on Bo- that Yeah, roster. Bogdan. Bogdan is, yeah, Boyan is the Utah guy. Bo- I can't get the, I can't, we cannot keep these Bogdanoviches straight, Pat. It's insanity. <laughs> it's impossible. It's impossible. You cannot blame us. You cannot blame us. Bogdan is who, who was going to get traded. Boyan is okay. still in Utah. Yes. Right. And, and can you explain why Eric Bledsoe is still on that roster? Well, Bledsoe is not on the roster anymore, Pat. He He's was not? he was traded. Okay. He was he was shipped out to the New Orleans Pelicans in the Drew Holiday deal. That was a part Good. of okay. all the stuff you went Good. through. But the there question is, Pat, going into this year, 
you knew your crunch time five was going to be Giannis and Chris Middleton, and you didn't know who the other three guys are. Now you know it's going to be Drew Holiday as one of those other three, but they don't know the other two. Is it going to be Dante DiVincenzo, who needs to take a massive step up to kind of fill that Bogdanovich role they wanted to uh, they wanted to have the Serbian fulfill? Or is it going to be like DJ Augustine? You can't really run him out there in crunch time. He's not going to be able to defend anybody. Bobby Portis, he's an abject liability on, on defense, and then he takes too many mid-range shots on offense. Pat Connaughton, we've already been through that song and dance. Torrey Craig can't make a jump shot to save his life, though he can play crunch time defense. There's just still two massive question marks for that crunch time five. And when you get to this tippy-top tier of the NBA, the likes of the LA teams, the Denver teams, the 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 Nets, the Celtics, all those teams in the East, it comes down to individual matchups in the playoffs. That's what these teams need to be building for. And yes, Milwaukee with Giannis and the way they're going to be able to play regular season basketball in Mike Budenholzer's system, they're going to win the equivalent of 60 to 65 games this upcoming year. It's just the way things work. But we know what they are in the playoffs. They are the James Harden, essentially, in team form of the playoffs, where it's great regular season stats, but when it comes down to individual matchups in crunch time, they can't get the job done. And I still think, like, I I do not think they have enough to take out the Lakers right now, Pat. I didn't think they had it going into the bubble, and I don't think they have it going out of free agency heading into another season. I don't either. I don't think they got any better whatsoever, truthfully. And I think it's a massive miss. And not only do they not get better, but they mortgage their future. There you go. There you go. All right. My other loser in uh, in NBA free agency this year, the Clippers. Speaking of those L.A. Mm-hmm. teams, speaking of teams that did not get better, um, I, I just don't really understand how Markeith Morris is worth a minimum contract and then the Clippers are going to pay his brother, Marcus Morris, $18 million a year for four seasons. It's like... That didn't make any sense, or $16 million a year for four seasons. Uh, he gets a four-year, $64 million deal. That was a massive overpay. They let Montrez Harrell walk for uh, the mid-level exception right across the hall. I think that might be a little bit of addition by subtraction, but not by much. And then you got to think, they they still don't have a they still don't have a playmaker, Pat. Like, the Clippers are going into this year once again without a playmaker. And there were rumblings coming out of the bubble that Kawhi Leonard was not very happy with having to produce and create a lot of the offense for that team. He had, he had a ton of uh, a ton of offensive responsibility on his plate, and that clearly showed up and manifested uh, in, in, in a small part to their collapse down the stretch. But Kawhi had just had too much on his plate, and he wasn't able to give them consistent consistent, strong Kawhi minutes like we're so used to. For, to me, Pat, just the Clippers did not, they didn't get better in this free agency period. And it makes me think, like, do they have another move to make? They have to. Not only did they not get better, Russ, they got much worse. Because on top of the Morris deal, they lost Montrez Hale right across the uh, to the other locker room. I don't know how Staples Center worked. They just to the other jersey <laughs> yeah. and signs with the Lakers. And he was such a heart of soul of that bench mob that they had, especially alongside you know, Pat Bev and I, that team was so dead in the bubble. The team was just like demoralized by the end of that Nuggets series. Then the the spirit and the heart that you saw other teams play with opposed to the Clippers, it got, it got Doc Rivers. He's out of there now. 
I agree with you. I think the Clippers are major, major losers, especially, I mean, they were my number one loser of this. I was happy that you that you started with them. But to lose Harold right across to the Lakers on top of that, that is just brutal. How do you, I, I don't know how they recover from that one. Well, the, the answer is two words, and it's uh, a little bit of a shaky proposition, but I think it could work out for him. It's Serge Ibaka. Uh, essentially, signed, they signed him to the same deal that Harold got uh, with the Lakers. Ibaka, 31. Uh, he's played great crunch time minutes, was the heart and soul of that Raptors team, kind of carrying them down the stretch when nobody besides Kawhi could get a bucket in, in big, big moments. Then last year, he was great for them in the bubble, played really well. He's a guy that can stretch the floor, can make things happen at all three levels, uh, can can protect the rim a little bit better than Montrez Harrell. I think that makes them a little bit more flexible. But like I said, they still do not have a creator. They don't have anybody on their team that can create offense when they need it in a pinch and create offense for others. Like Reggie Jackson, unrestricted free agent. I don't expect him probably to be back with the team unless it's a minimum deal. Uh, Pat Bev is, yes, a, a point guard, but... He's not really a creator, so to say. So, I don't know, Pat. I think they might have some deals left to be made. Keep an eye on uh, maybe Spencer Dinwiddie out in Ooh. Brooklyn. I don't see any path to him playing out this whole season in a Nets uniform. It just doesn't make sense. He needs the ball too much. He could be that kind of on-ball creator, take some of the pressure off of Kawhi Leonard, and uh, maybe they send back Patrick Beverly in that deal because Pat Bev, obviously kind of more of a bulldog, defensive-minded point guard, won't need the rock as much on offense. He can take that number one uh, number one scoring assignment uh, whenever Kyrie Irving needs to, uh, needs to let that go. So that could be something they end up uh, cooking up in the works. But when you swap Serge Ibaka for Montrez Harrell and then you also lose Jermichael Green in the process – that's tough, man. That's a that's a that's a tough tough uh, tough pill to swallow. They did not get better. Arguably, got much much worse. Let's get some winners. Who's your winner, Pat, from the uh, pre agency period? I, I, all that negativity was getting me down, Russ. I'm happy we're getting onto the winners. I, I don't think we have much more negativity the whole show, so we got that good. out of the way. Good, good, good. Um, I got a couple ones. I'm gonna guess one that you want to talk about. So I'm gonna say it. Let's go with the Atlanta Hawks. Hmm, that was one of mine think, as well. Yes, I like this. Yes, awesome, awesome. I think you'll do a better job. The Atlanta Hawks had a very, very, very fun offseason. So they're adding Rajon Rondo. They're adding... Is this right? Oh, no, this is not right. Sorry, I was looking at the wrong thing. But I know that they were plotting on Rondo. and Bob Rondo. Rondo no, Rondo's on. Rondo's, they signed Rondo. Did they get yeah. him? Did yeah, they, they get ended him? Up awesome. Signing. They got Gallinari, too, if I'm not mistaken. Isn't that right? Yeah, Gallinari, three-year, $61 million deal. Very fun. So I think I think the Hawks are sneaky one of those teams that can make a run just like that last Hawks team and like grab a first, second seed just with the way that they're going to play ball. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You season. think they could be a top two seed? Did I just hear top two seed? Is that what I heard from I Pat? really do. I really do. And we can play this. this, (laughs) Exactly. We can play this one back when Trey Young explodes this year. We can play this one back when they shoot a record three pointers. And we can play this one back when they shock everyone and have an incredibly great season. I'm really, really high on the Hawks. I like what they're doing down there in Atlanta. Talk me out of it or talk me into it. What'd you think of that take? Let's go ahead and give a rundown real quick of what they did because it was a lot. It was a lot. Biggest uh, marquee free agent they added, Bogdanovich, the aforementioned, aforementioned Bogdan Bogdanovich. 
Four years, $72 million. He gets that offer sheet from Atlanta. The Kings stupidly do not match it. I don't understand that, Pat. Why would they let Bogdanovich just walk for nothing when you could trade him in season for an asset? But that's just me. Danilo Gallinari, we just mentioned. Three years, $61 million to Atlanta. They add a pair of defensive-minded guards and Rondo and Chris Dunn. A nice value signing at two years, $10 million. And um, that was the majority of what they did. Got Damian Jones... Uh, as well, shipped out from Atlanta to Phoenix. Uh, they, they so really I think this is where this in. take this is where this take rests, Russ. If you look at this roster, it, it's they're doing exactly what the Houston Rockets tried to do, right? And I think the what, what lays to be seen is how successful will they be? Yeah, but all but shipping got, out the centers, but yeah, the surrounding right. Trey Young with shooting essentially. Yeah, yeah, they got Clint Capella. I mean, the exact uh, the lob guy that they had in Houston. And then surround four on one between Hoyter, Cam Reddish, Trey Young, Bogdanovich, Gallinari. Uh, they're gonna have some great shooters on the outside. Collins as well has got a great stroke from the outside. And then they've also got some good athletes between between Collins, aforementioned Hunter as well, Tony Snell. I think they're gonna be they're just set up a great three and D roster. I don't know how successful that can be come postseason time. But I think in the regular season, they're just going to get on a lot of teams' nerves. And when they st- they get hot, they can stay hot. I-, I-, I do like the Hawks to to really be the dark horse this year in the East. All right, so we got we got Trey Young at the point, Bogdanovich at the two, Gallinari at the four probably, with Reddish at the three, and then you have Capella at the five. I think that's a competitive team. They will be in the plan, I think, at least. But it's it's... Outside of the magic, who are you kick? Who are you kicking out of the Eastern playoffs, Pat? Who are you kicking out? Let me out? take a look. Outside Let's of the magic, you have the Nets, Sixers, Heat, Pacers, Celtics, Raptors, Bucks. I don't see any of those teams not making the playoffs next year. And then on the outside looking in, we have the Hawks, obviously as a leading candidate there. The Magic, I don't think, will be competitive this year, especially without Jonathan Isaac, his uh, his horrific knee injury in the buzzle bubble. Wizards possibly there as well. And then my Hornets and the Bulls. Those are the kind of four to five teams on the outside looking in. It's just it's very difficult to find a spot in the top six for the Hawks, is what I'm saying. That's fair. That's a very fair. But for the record, going forward, I'll definitely take the Hawks over the Magic Pacers and Raptors, even potentially as far as regular season goes. And I'm not even mm. sold on the Heat at being a great regular season team. I think they could probably find they'll probably see some fatigue in the early season as well. I think so. I mean, the Hawks are going to be fresh. They didn't face the bubble. They got dudes who were probably eager to play. You know, didn't face the grind of the bubble. I think they were still there, but. There's going to be dudes eager to play on that Hawks team, and I think they're going to have great shooters, and they're doing exactly what the Rockets put laid the blueprint for. If they can make shots, play just somewhat decent defense, you know who knows what the Hawks can do. I, I'm really high on them. I love what they're doing. My que- I was a little questioning of signing Rondo and Chris Dunn. It seems kind of remedial to do that, especially like Rondo. He must have not gotten any deals close to two years, fifteen million dollars. Because I don't know why a thirty-four-year-old in the back end of his his career would want to go to a rebuilding project like Atlanta if it wasn't for the money. But this kind of sets up my my more individual winner from this exact uh, free agency spree. It's Trey Young. He there was rumblings that quote unquote he's getting a little frustrated with the team's lack of winning. Even though like the last year was his second year in the league, I don't really know what he's expecting when you go to a team 
uh, with the sixth overall pick in Atlanta. But this is what he wanted. He wanted a team that could help him blossom, a team that could help him unlock the abilities of all the players around him. And now he has it, Pat. There's no excuse for Trey Young to not have an all NBA type level season if he if if all things considered, Trey Young, quote unquote, frustrated that he's not winning. All right, dude. Well, it's time to put up 28 a game, 12, 12 assists, 10 assists, two to three rebounds, and not be the worst defender in the NBA. That's what he is right now, Pat. Trey Young is the worst statistical defender in the league. He's an abject disaster. I get it. He's small, but there's a little bit more effort that we could get out of Trey Young. So it's little stuff like that, along with Lloyd Pierce. Is he the guy? Are, is this front office the leaders that they want to have in place? We're going to start to find out this year. But my only thing is, like, I'd love that the Hawks are kind of going for it a little bit and that they're they're trying to to make the playoffs and trying to put a good product on the floor. I always really do appreciate that. But these are some sh- a bit short-sighted moves. 32-year-old Danilo Gallinari, 34-year-old Rondo, 28-year-old Bogdanovich, an old 28-year-old Bogdanovich with a lot of international play on those tires, it just doesn't really align with the plan that they had going into the 2019-2020 season. This hard of a pivot almost never works for small market franchises, but you know what? Maybe they'll get in the playoffs, get Trey Young a little bit of experience, and who knows from there. But I don't know. I, I, I do like what the Hawks have done. In a vacuum, these are all very intelligent signings. They all have come with a, via a plan. You can tell that there is a team-building acumen being put in place. So I like that out of the uh, Hawks front office. It wasn't just the Pistons signing five different freaking centers and saying, all right, well, what do we do with these now? Um, so there, there's that. We got the Hawks as a winner. My other winner, and this is what we'll close out, the NBA free agency topic. I don't know if the team he's going to. My team is necessarily a winner out of this puppy. But who? Boy, four years, $120 million for one uh, Gordon Hayward, who hasn't played, I think, yeah, hasn't played over hasn't played over 85% of an NBA season since uh, before he signed with the Celtics back in, what, 2017? So that's a little troubling to think about, Pat. But my Hornets, by hell, come hell or high water, they're going to figure out a way to get Gordon Hayward on this team. It's probably going to require a stretching of the Nicholas Batum contract, meaning over the next three years, they will have $9 million in dead cap money because of that. So Gordon Hayward is essentially going to be a $39 million player over the next three seasons. Don't necessarily think he's going to be worth that, but Pat, I'm going to have a hell of a lot of fun watching it happen. What was the player option he turned down with the Celtics? $34 million. I mean, hey, I, I didn't think it was a good move to turn that down, but I guess I was wrong. I mean... And before people start throwing arrows at me, the Celtics were offering 105. The Pacers were offering 105. There were multiple teams offering this man over $100 million, which is pretty crazy. I think, Russ, Russ, I am not going to be the one throwing arrows. I think the Hornets are massive, massive winners of this free agency. And anyone anyone who says otherwise is, is obviously not a fan of the Charlotte Hornets because... I mean, look, you're getting LaMelo Ball, easily the most exciting rookie, you know, uh, in this class. The most exciting rookie we might have had in a few years, depending on who you ask. On top of that, you're getting Gordon Hayward, who has been a star, who's been a staple, who's been a vet guy, who I think still has something left. He's definitely got something to prove. I think the Hornets are putting together, you know what, Russ? They're putting together something fun. And they're putting something exciting. 
with some players and some jerseys you'll wear. I think that's good. I think it's good for the team. It's good for the franchise. How could you not be winners? You're trying to put good players on the team. Exactly. And it's like like the Pacers or Celtics were going to give give Hayward that money. And you know what? Sometime, not sometimes, every time the small market team has to overpay to get that player. This is a, the worst team, the worst small market. Yeah, team. exactly. It's market market team with with no real hope. Except now they have a they have hope in one Mr. Lamelo Ball, along with some nice young pieces around him. There's not a bunch of it's not a bunch of it's not a Knicks roster surrounding Lamelo Ball or surround like it's not like R.J. Barrett going to the Knicks last year and that type of roster he was walking into. So there's that, and then like I am that guy that that wants to take the pain. I wanted this year to be you know the Lamelo Ball show. He's shooting twenty times a game developing, hopefully hammering out some of those bad habits from his time overseas. The team is very bad still. They get a top five lottery pick. They get a top five, top or number one overall pick. Good, good odds. And then they, they pick from the cream of the crop next year. There's six to seven guys next year that would probably go number one in this year's draft. That's how stacked and loaded it is at the top. So this kind of puts that a little bit on the back burner, which is, which is upsetting to me. But I get to watch Gordon Hayward. I think those injuries were fluky, to be honest. None of them are connected. They're all freak accidents. A change of scenery, I think, will be very good for Hayward, who's just barely hitting, I think, 31 years old. This is going to take him through the, through the rest of his prime. Uh, it gives Lamelo Ball an instant offense type of guy to take the pressure off of him and a, a veteran leader on this team that they don't really have. It's such a young roster. James Brago, the head coach, is kind of the, the adult in the room. So all pair all those things together, and I think it it can be worth it over the majority of this contract. But what I hope doesn't happen is Gordon Hayward wins them five to six extra meaningless games on his own. They still end up as the, maybe the tenth seed in the in the getting to the play in. They get bounced, and then you're sitting there on the outside looking in from having a shot at the best prospects in a loaded 2021 class. So that's what I. Hope doesn't happen. I want it to be fun, Pat, but I don't want to win a lot of games. I'm going to be honest. Not this year. Not this year. Reasonable take. I think a very, very smart take of someone in any position, but it's going to be fun. And you're going to get primetime games. You're going to be on ESPN. You're not going to have to go league past it. It's going to be fun. Like, I've had nothing, Pat, to watch for the past <laughs> three, four years. I've had $25 million sitting on the bench for the past three to four years. I know Gordon Hayward's going to be playing. And he'll be if Gordon Hayward's healthy, he's going to be a very good player. He was the most efficient scorer on, in, like, arguably in the NBA among forwards last year when he was on the court. So, I, I, I get it. I, I understand where you could where people are saying this is such a bad contract. It's just the Hornets again and again. But you know what? I want some excitement. I had ex I was excited on Saturday when when Gordon Hayward got signed. So that's the first time that's happened. In, well, I guess, yeah, it happened last week, too, with Momella Ball. But we're getting excited a little bit more often than we're used to here in Hornets country. All right, wrapping up, lane number one. Let's get into lane number two. We went very long on lane number one. But lane number two was uh, was always kind of intended on this Thanksgiving special to be a little bit of a buffer. They, uh, they buffered out BYU last night, Pat. It was a tough look for the Cougars who come into the first college football playoff undefeated ready to roll, hoping to be in the top 10, looking for their shot at 9-0 and to maybe crash the whole party. 
Not so fast, Cougars. Number 14 ranking, about five spots below where they were in the AP poll. The top four overall is Alabama, Notre Dame, Clemson, and Ohio State. And get this, Pat. This will uh, tickle your fancy right here. The past four years, the initial number two ranked team has won the entire college football playoff. How about that? How about, how about, how about that, Russ? How about that? Poor BYU. I didn't think they deserved to drop that much, did you? I, I, I think they should have stayed in the top ten, but like I, I get Western it. Western I get it. Like, like I, 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 BYU's only played. They haven't. They haven't beat any Power Five teams, and they only have three wins against teams over five hundred. And Boise State, Louisiana Tech, and UTSA. Like they. Also, I mean, they beat they the have, breaks off everyone they played. Yeah, but who cares if you beat up North Alabama? Like, who cares? <laughs> like, that doesn't matter to me. Now, if they were to go and schedule a UC, maybe then that who knows, electric. that could end up uh, boosting their resume. But they they essentially have to schedule someone now, Pat. They only have one have more game to. left the rest of the year against San Diego State. A win against the Aztecs ain't moving the needle in the committee's eyes. Not at all. Not at all. But you know what I don't want to see in, in this year's college football playoff? What's that? Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Notre Dame. The same thing we get every single year? Every single year. And we're going to get two blowouts in the semifinal and then I hope for a good national championship game. That's what I don't want to see personally. I just I'm so sick of Clemson, Pat, and Alabama and Ohio State. Like I'm just this is what we brought up. I think this was our first college football topic of the year with you and I doing the show was the monotony, man. It's the same teams every year. And the playoff system is conducive to that because when the same teams are on your TV screen every year, when the same teams make the playoff, well, who do you think the best recruits are gonna want to go to? Not BYU, who's off their television screen every single night of every single Saturday night of the fall. It's those powerhouses that consistently punch tickets, and so the cycle continues. The best recruits go to the best schools, and everybody else is left left with 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 nothing to work with. You're right. You're you're very right. But let's talk about some possible fun scenarios. Yes. Maybe Notre Dame gets plumbed in the ACC championship game and gets knocked out who knows what happens hopefully something happens i love some of these teams five through ten absolutely love them and i guess more so i think they're just very fun to watch but florida first off kyle Tress should be this year's heisman trophy winner if the season were to end right now i love florida they are so fun to watch kyle pitts is awesome on mm-hmm. the outside i can't think of his first name but tooney uh, their wide receiver, Kadarius Tooney, absolutely electric on the outside. I think Florida would be so fun to watch in the playoff, and I really hope they get a chance. I don't know how they'll sneak in. I think it would take probably an SEC championship win. It but... would, yeah. Or, yeah, it would, because they already lost at Texas A&M, but Texas a A&M game also in the top six, so... I don't like Texas A&M. I don't think Texas A&M that good. I watched that Florida-Texas A&M game. I came away from that game still feeling like Florida was the better team. Yeah, and Texas A&M got railroaded by Alabama. It wasn't even close. 52-24. to Like, what are we talking about here? Texas A&M does not deserve to be anywhere close to the college football playoff after that showing on the road at Alabama. And if there was ever a year to give some of these smaller teams, like UC, who has a very formidable defense, I mean, this UC will not get pushed around 
And if they do get pushed around, they're going to get pushed around just like Texas A&M got pushed around by Alabama. So I'd love to see UC get a chance. Their defense is very stingy, very good. They've played well in every single game this year. If UC's offense, they've got so many sort of boomer bust players where if they get everybody rolling hot on the same day, mm-hmm. they could beat anybody, no doubt in my mind. They obviously, they could lay, they could lay a stinker, which they've avoided this year. But when they're rolling, especially on offense with that quarterback, Desmond, or everything, everything lays on his shoulder. When he's going, though, they look like an SEC frontrunner. They really do. Had their game at Temple get canceled, unfortunately, uh, this upcoming weekend. So their only game left, Pat, is at Tulsa on uh, – they have not, actually not scheduled it. Actually, yes, they have December 12th at Tulsa. No time currently. Uh, the Tulsa, Tulsa Golden Hurricane, number 25-ranked team in the country right now. So if UC were to beat them and Tulsa still remains ranked, then they would have three ranked victories on their uh, schedule at the time uh, of them playing that team. But we'll see what ends up happening with Army – SMU and Tulsa at the end of the college football playoff. Like it's just it's it is it's very difficult for me to judge college football because I want to see UC get a shot. I would love that. I don't want to see Texas A&M get in there. We know it's going to happen. Kellen Mond doesn't have the ceiling, blah blah blah. But you could say the same thing about Cincinnati. What makes them any better than Texas A&M on a neutral field? And it's like even Ohio State at number 4. They've had massive problems on defense this year. Had a lot of issues this past weekend with with Indiana. Like, I hate to say it, but we know who the top three teams are easily in the country right now. It's Notre Dame, Clemson, and Alabama. And it's unfortunate that the gap is so wide between those three and the rest of the field. I'll, I'll put I'll put a buffer there with Ohio State, who I think could beat any of those teams. But like outside of the, I don't think anybody I'll in the top you, four look. would lose to anybody else besides them, which is sad. Sad to say. I, I tell you very much you are wrong. Notre Dame is very capable of losing to anybody in college football, and I'll tell you that. It could right lose now. this weekend to, Notre, to North Carolina. It's possible. They should have lost earlier this year to Louisville at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, the Notre Dame win over Clemson was, was strictly because of the absence of Trevor Lawrence. It still isn't that Well, that's not true, Pat. DJ Uyunglele was electric. He had over 300 yards and multiple touchdowns passing. It was because they were missing the key pieces on defense. I don't know how I'm sitting here defending Notre Dame to the Notre Dame fan. This is going to be the fourth straight year that they've won 10-plus games, Pat. Like, that's never I'll happened in, in the history of the program. They so. need to win They need to win a, a, a postseason game, you know, an important postseason game, and yeah. that's just the matter of fact to it. And we won't know until we get there. And uh, we will get there on, what is it, December 19th is when the uh, when all, this, all the marbles are going to be played out on the table with the conference championships and the likes of that. So it'll be very interesting. Obviously, uh, weird to see Clemson ranked above Ohio State, yet not that crazy considering how much um, leeway the committee was going to give teams that have played more contests so far. They said they highly value teams that have played as many games as possible because rightly so, those teams have taken on a much greater risk and they are uh, they're they're contributing more to the overall college football landscape, if you want to say. Which means, sorry, Pac-12, no dice again this year. Oregon at 15 and USC at 18. There's no chance the Pac-12 gets a team in. So it's uh it's going to be a race between uh, the other four Power Five conferences, 
and Notre Dame, who is currently a member of the uh, the ACC this year. I, number four, Pat, real quick. Who do you think ends? What's your? What do you think the final four ends up being before we get to uh, to, to our final 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 lane? I really hope chaos happens, mm-hmm. right, Russ? It's 2020. If there was every year, we need something crazy to happen. I hope every single team ends up with the loss. But I think it's going to be just something like Alabama, Notre Dame. You know, unfortunately, I think Clemson beats Notre Dame in the ACC championship, which is, I think, going to be the presumed, if they both went out, uh, occurrence. So I think that puts them both in. So I think... Right, it comes down to whether or not Ohio State loses a game. I think it could be those four. I'm gonna hope that Notre Dame loses just to knock them out. Maybe they can knock off Clemson, and it will be like a one-loss Notre Dame, Alabama, Florida, who beats Alabama in the SEC championship, and then well, Alabama would get in though. They're seven. They'd be undefeated with one loss. There's no way they're not putting Alabama in. Yeah. So Alabama, Clemson, Florida, UC. Somehow. That's, uh, see, that just can't happen. If Notre Dame has one loss, they're getting in. That's a problem. <laughs> like, Well, that's they're, they're going to lose. That's what I'm saying. They're going to lose. You think they lose to North UNC, Carolina Sears, and then or lose? Or Syracuse or okay. Wake Forest. They're capable of losing all of them. I could see them losing to North Carolina. Sam Howell. The slinging Sam Howell. I'm going to be honest. I think it stays the same. It sucks to say it, but unless Northwestern beats Ohio State, this is going to be our Final Four. It's, it's going to be, oh, UC, they got a chance. Oh, my, oh, Florida, they got a chance. Oh, Texas A&M. It's going to be the same top four the rest of the year. I can almost guarantee it. <laughs> Closing out this episode on riding the 3x3, three three, got to love the uh, the parody in college football. It's, it's there every single year. A league with some actual parody, Pat. Let's, uh, let's give our little Thanksgiving spin on the National Football League, getting into their Thanksgiving week slate of games. Here coming up on Turkey Day, we got Washington taking on the Dallas Cowboys. First game, we have, of course, the annual god-awful tradition of the Lions taking on some other hapless foe. This year, it's the Texans. That'll be fun to watch. A pair of teams under 500 battle it out. And then, in the nightcap, we have record scratch. We don't have a nightcap, Pat, because uh, the Ravens strength coach this week decided that he was going to walk around the building uh, with symptoms for coronavirus and without a mask on. So this, I'm sorry, like this dumbass out here just screwed up our entire Thanksgiving evening because he can't wear a mask on and report symptoms in the building. Unbelievable. It had me so peeved when I saw that this afternoon. We're in November, getting into December of this pandemic and this Yahoo still can't figure out how to wear a mask of course, it was the strength and conditioning coach, Pat. You knew it was the strength and conditioning coach. Oh, yeah, you Of did. course it oh, was. Yeah, you did. Feeding right into the uh, stereotypes right there. Yeah. And the best game, too. Not the, the only, only good game. game. The only the good only game. The only good game. But an electric game. You know, the best rivalry in all the NFL. Under the lights. I think, was it in Heinz Field, too, on top of that? I mean, you're getting... It's just a tragedy, especially as a And then your fan, Steelers, Steelers get Ravens. screwed again. Another Again. another instance this year where they get screwed by a COVID nineteen instance. Like it's it's. But they're it's warriors. Brutal. Mike Tomlin. It's necessary business. Mike Tomlin has those boys pre- prepared to play anytime, anywhere. I'm if they go undefeated and win the Super Bowl, this will be the most impressive season in the history of the NFL, bar none. It's not even close. You I give think it Mike to the Tomlin. Steelers. 
Mike Tomlin might be the only coach like equipped to make that happen. Just his attitude, the necessary business which he approaches life. He doesn't let things face him. It's true. Other coaches who are so much more football-minded, say Sean Payton, say Bill Belichick, I'm sure it's affected them much more. They, they, they go in there, live football. Mike Tomlin doesn't really think like that. He doesn't operate like that. He just, all, all his entire motive is just problem solving and conquering the next battle. That's all he's worried about. That's why he's such a player's coach. That's why he's such a motivator. And so I think they're perfectly capable of it. I think he has his team easily with the best mindset of any of the other teams in the NFL. I think there's no question about that, at least. They'll go for uh, their 11th straight victory to start the 2020 season on Sunday at 1.15 on NBC, as opposed to 8.15 on NBC. Thank you, strength and conditioning coach unnamed with the Baltimore Ravens. We aren't thankful for him. But things we are thankful for, Pat, are some of the great players across the National Football League. And I bridge this question to you. Give me a couple players that you're thankful for, or one one player in particular that you're thankful for. What do you got for me? If I'm taking one player in particular, I mean, I only had one really on my list. The only one I really wanted to bring up. His name is TJ Watt. Hmm. I am so thankful for TJ Watt. I thought you'd go with Big Ben because of the oh, disgustingness you had to watch last year, but I guess not. Get out of here. Get out of here. <laughs> No, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for TJ Watt, the glorious younger brother of JJ and Derek, who somehow un- inexplicably fell to the 30th pick of the first round in the perfect situation to be a 3-4 outside linebacker for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Seven sacks as a rookie. 13 sacks in his second year, 14 and a half sacks. I think runner-up and defensive player of the year. Mm-hmm. I think he's probably the favorite for the defensive player of the year this year. I think he's leading the league in pressures, in quarterback pressures by, I don't know, 15. Absolutely insane. The way he plays, too. I mean, he's so he's such a wholesome. He's a Watt, right? He just lives, breeds, work. All he does is work, football. And he's just a kind, wholesome, Wisconsin, kind-hearted man. And on top of that, he plays football with fierce. He's a mean. He almost plays it as mean as like Lawrence Taylor on the field. He's punching dudes every... If you have the ball, you guarantee you he's giving you a right hook right across the bicep. He's mean. He's angry. He's a bully. He stood over, you know, Bengals quarterbacks every time he's played. I'm so thankful I get to root for TJ Watt. Everybody should try it. (laughs) TJ Watt is who I'm thankful for. I might try that out this weekend, rooting for TJ Watt a little bit. JK, no, I, I don't think I can stomach it. I don't think I can stomach it. I, I totally get where Pat's coming from there. The best player on uh, his undefeated team and arguably the best defensive player in the league football, he is. this season. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's crazy, the ascendance, the dominance we've seen from, from one family. That Wisconsin cheese, man, does something. Does something. Two players for me that I'm thankful for. Number one for my own team Jesse Bates merged as arguably the best free safety in the NFL this year, easily the highest graded safety overall among pro football focus, better than the next highest graded safety by almost 10 points, leads all safeties and passes defensed. Uh, he's picked up a few interceptions this year, really worked on the ball skills, and just been a nice free-ranging kind of center fielder, uh, one of the only bright spots on the Bengals' defensive side of the ball. And then Derek Henry. Guy, I just love watching play football every single week. I'm a guy, I'm a big early down passing guy. I love all that, but man, something about a second and long Derrick Henry run where he just busts it open. 
It's not analytically inclined, but it is it is visually inclined, to say the least. 229 attempts, number one in the league. 1,079 yards. That leads the NFL. Tied for third in rushing touchdowns with nine on the year. Averaging a healthy 4.7 yards per clip. That, I believe I was listening, one of the pods I was listening to this week said in the fourth quarter this season, Pat, fourth quarter and overtime, Derrick Henry is averaging over 6.5 yards per carry. And that was on display emphatically with his uh, exclamation point walk-off touchdown this past weekend in overtime against the Baltimore Ravens, which ultimately sunk my uh, sunk my sucker bet, which we're going to get to after this next topic. But as we're uh, 11 weeks in to the NFL season, getting into week 12, we only got about five, six games remaining for all these teams. I want to know, Pat, who is your top four teams in the National Football League right now? What do you think are your clear-cut top four teams? These are the four teams that can uh, find themselves in a conference championship at the end of the season. Do you want two from each conference, or do you just no? Want just four? give the four teams that you the four top tier teams in the NFL. What do you got? You know what's going to come out just like that, though. So Russ, I think the two are obvious. I think the two best teams in the league this year have been the Pittsburgh Steelers, the team hasn't lost yet, and the Kansas City Chiefs because they have Patrick Mahomes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think clear cut. The last few years, the AFC Championship game has seemed to play out uh, in somewhat of that feeling. Not last year's, but the years before, where the sort of a pseudo Super Bowl. I think this year could be a similar feeling. It'll be very exciting to see the Steelers and Chiefs. I hope we get it. I'm saying those have been one and two. When thinking about this, you really want to. I quarterbacks this year have been just so important with the craziness of the season and everything. So with that, I'm going with the Packers. I love hmm. Aaron Rodgers. I know they have their problems. I know they have their issues. I'm worried about the playmakers on the outside. I'm worried about who he's throwing the ball to. But ultimately, I think just he's leading the best. He They're the best team. I feel more confident when the Packers are on the field because Aaron Rodgers than the other teams in that in that conference. And then it comes down, I think the Saints, Bucks, and Rams could all make argument for the fourth. I've been in love with the Rams since day one of the season, so I'm going to go with the Rams, especially after the huge win they had over the Bucks. I think that trumps them. The Saints' uh, uncertainty at quarterback is going to hurt them. Ultimately, I haven't been huge in the Saints all year because of that. I, who knows going forward? So there it is. Steelers, Chiefs, Rams, Packers, that order. All right, I, I have a very similar list. Steelers, Chiefs are my, my top two right now. I would have... I would still have Casey slightly, slightly, ever so slightly above the Steelers because They're of that. Better. You're allowed to say it. Yeah, They're because better. of They're that quarterback X factor. If it was 30, 31 year old Big Ben shaking off defenders and 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 throwing MVP type seasons, then I'd be right there. But he's still good, but he's not the same Ben that we're quite used to. And then my third team, I got to go with the Saints. I just I don't see any deficiencies. With this team, they have been the most consistent all year. The defense has started to turn around. They have played up to their talent level over the past month. And then it's Sean Payton, man, on the other side. He can turn water in the wine. It's unbelievable. I have been a staunch, staunch opposition towards anything regarding Taysom Hill getting snaps. But he he shoved that down my throat last week. 18 of 25. Looks solid passing the ball. 50-plus yards on the ground along with two touchdowns. So still made an impact there where he normally does with his feet. I think he'll be able to buoy them very well until Drew Brees comes back. But what kind of Drew Brees are we going to have? 11 of his 24 human ribs are currently broken. So uh, 
I don't. I just know if I had eleven, if I had half my rib cage taken out, I probably wouldn't, probably wouldn't be coming back before January. But that's what Drew Brees at forty one's going to try to do. And then you know what? I'm going to put the Saints four and get the Rams at three. I think I got nice. the Rams slightly above the Saints because they're like they're like the Saints, except I'm going to take Jared Goff over Taysom Hill every day of the week. I, I think it's a pretty much of a wash in terms of coaching. For those two teams, it's a wash in terms of defense, even to the point where the Rams, you might be able to give a slight edge because of the top tier game wrecking talent they bring to the table with Aaron Donald on the interior. And then uh, Jalen Ramsey and Williams, the young cornerback Williams, along with uh, who was that Jordan Fuller on the sixth round, 199th overall pick that intercepted the most famous 199th overall pick twice this past Sunday night. So that was a pretty wild thing to see. They've just drafted really well. I hammered the Rams all offseason. Like, what are they doing? Why are they handing out these massive contracts? They're going to have to be giving out minimum deals on the regular for the next five, six years. But the reason they're not they're, they're not going to have to do that as much is because they're hitting on these draft picks and they're coming through in a big way this season. That's why I got the Rams at number three on my list. And the Saints right there at number four. It's going to be a lot of fun down the stretch. There's not really any clear-cut favorite, I don't think. Yes, the Chiefs are still the betting favorite, but the Raiders have shown they them to have clear weaknesses. But bottom line is the Patrick Mahomes, he's going to be sitting there waiting for uh, for hopefully. I, I'm with you, Pat. I hope it's the Steelers and the Chiefs. We get that, that matchup. Steelers the the defense versus Patrick Mahomes <sighs> would just be so fun. We need it. We need it. All right. Sucker bet time and then our top three. Thanksgiving. I'll go ahead and uh, give out my sucker bet first. Let's uh, let's adjust the stats here. I am five and three on the season after uh, failing to hit last week with my Titans plus six and a half as the sucker bet. Pat though, big ding ding, had the Patriots minus one and a half at his sucker bet. Great pick right there. They fall to Deshaun Watson and the Houston Texans. So he is at four and four on the year. I'm at five and three. Podcast as a whole is nine and seven overall, so still positive, still positive money. Getting getting close to negative ROI, but we're not going to think about that right now. We're just going to think about going two and zero, and to go two and zero, we're going to need the San Francisco 49ers to fall completely flat on their faces. They are plus seven and a half point underdogs this weekend on the road to the Los Angeles Rams. Currently. Uh, excuse me, no, six and a half point underdogs. Been bet down a point. Public has taken it down a point, and 56% of the market is on the San Francisco 49ers. So they are my sucker bet this week because I don't trust like I don't I don't trust Nate Mullins, Nick Mullins. Like, what are you, are you kidding me? The last time these two teams played, yes, the Niners won, but it required three Jimmy Garoppolo touchdown passes. Like I'm just I'm gonna ride the McVeigh train here. McVeigh hired back in 2017. Since then, they've been favored by seven or more in 19 games. They've gone 17 and two straight up, 10, eight and one against the spread. So he's been pretty solid uh, covering these big numbers and getting the job done there. Overall, I just I love the Rams. Eight and one in their past nine home games, six, two and one against the spread. They're coming off. I get it's a bit of a short week. But they're just a much more talented team. They have a massive advantage in the quarterback room. And they need this victory to keep pace and uh, keep trying to 
push the put the pressure on the on the Seahawks and Cardinals in this divisional uh, race for the NFC West. Give me the Rams to take out the Niners in comfortable fashion. Niners plus six and a half is my sucker bet, Pat. This this week is sucker bet city. It's almost I'm... all public. It's every single game right now is public money. I think. Interesting. Everything very, is very very interesting. Everything but two games is over fifty five percent right now. And all of them seem to be at that key number of like three or seven. So yep. this is going to be very interesting. I don't know what my plays will be personally, but I've got a play for everybody right now, and it's tomorrow, and it's it involves the same team I just won on last week in the Houston Texans. But I'm going against them. It's a sucker pick. Everyone watched them take down Belichick. They saw Deshaun Watson, and now they're in love again. They remembered who Deshaun Watson was. They're going in for the annual Thanksgiving. <laughs> In Detroit, <laughs> this is awful. I'm picking the Detroit Lions to win. I I, I think th- I think Matt Stafford has just won in him. I don't know how many straight years it's been that that the Lions have lost on Thanksgiving. I think three, four, five, ten in my entire lifetime. I I think Matt Stafford gets it done. I think it's just a classic. Neither of these teams make sense this year. Neither of these teams will find a run, find themselves, be terrible. I think Matt Stafford in a big QB battle gets this one. The Lions moved from two to three, so we're getting that magic number of three. I'll take Matt Stafford in the Lions. Taking the home dog. Tried and true right there for Mr. Fetch. So he is on the Texans minus three as his sucker bet. My sucker bet is the Niners plus six and a half, plus seven, wherever you can see it as my sucker bet. All right, closing the show out. My top three Thanksgiving food items i'm not a big turkey guy pat to be honest and i might be wow. i might be breaking some norms here but we're not gonna be eating turkey at this year's thanksgiving we're gonna have a good old beef tenderloin i eat too many turkey sandwiches like i i get the taste of turkey all the time i love it as a deli meat not so much with gravy and hot turkey and all that so my top three is garlic mashed potatoes love those fantastic my grandma used to make the best pecan pie it's especially i have only on thanksgiving every year and then a good sweet cornbread. I like a little bit of like mm. sugar sweetness in there. Nice fluffy, nice moist, fluffy cornbread. All good stuff. What's your top three, Pat, before we close this I'll, thing out? I'm a pretty basic Thanksgiving guy, Russ. But I, so I'm going to go turkey, but I'll be more specific and say the turkey leg. Ooh. Like a like a Norse Viking is how I eat You just rip that sucker right off? Absolutely. Every Thanksgiving <laughs> like tradition. Uh, after that, we'll go stuffing. Stuffing's great. Stuffing's really my number one. Absolute amazing treat stuffing is. Stuffing was a close honorable mention, yes. And then, you know, really I don't want to say mashed potatoes and go so basic, so I'll go with apple pie because mm. I think I need to pick a pie. I'm not the biggest pumpkin pie fan, but I think apple pie serves as – I think that fits on Thanksgiving. I think I'm allowed to go with that, so I'm going to go with that. Turkey, stuffing, apple pie. Some uh, Get some Cool Whip on there. Maybe get a little cool bit of whip? whipped cream. Get Get the Cool Whip. Get the Cool Whip on there. Oh, man. Good stuff. Cannot wait for Turkey Day. Hope everybody enjoys it. Want to wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving from Pat Fetch and myself here at Riding the 3x3. Want to thank everyone for listening all year long. Got a lot of great content coming to you the rest of 2020 and into 2021 as uh, the BA season starting up very soon. College basketball just got rolling. Pat and I will be taking stock uh, of the entire college basketball landscape on next week's show. And uh, we will talk to you following week 12. We'll be back with two episodes next week. And, of course, um, the week 12 recap on Monday night. For Patrick Fetch, I'm Russ Heltman. Enjoy the holiday, everybody.